First, uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar um, with you and the project, can you introduce yourself and tell us about how medical history came to be? Of course. So hi, everyone. My name is Tori. I'm the founder of Medical Her Story. Um, we're an award-winning international nonprofit dedicated to raising awareness on gender health equity through storytelling and undoing stigma. So the project was born out of my own lived experience of dealing with chronic yeast infections and sort of navigating these two really challenging barriers. One was like this lack of medical care or compassion that my ailments were receiving, um, just because I wasn't being taken seriously, but rather treated as being overly emotional and just making a big deal out of nothing, which I promise you I wasn't. <laughs> um, the other one was just this silence that I was living in. We're sort of told from a young age that discussing our bodies, especially our genitals, is very inappropriate, very unladylike, um, and that th these are the discourses that just prevented me from feeling comfortable sharing what I was going through with others. Um, so obviously a lot has changed in those years as this has become something I talk about quite frequently. Um, and I think what happened is that sometimes silence can just become deafening. I, I got so fed up with all these invasive exams, lost test kits, um, unsafe referrals, and just so much pain that I had to say something. So funnily enough, I published a story and the McGill Daily, um, and it made the front page. It garnered attention from other people starting to share their experiences of medical mistreatment they'd been through, um, other undiagnosed distress they'd been going through, and just general shame around their bodies. So at the time, I knew that there really wasn't a space to be gathering all these stories, and I really wanted there to be, which is why I created Medical Her Story. Um, and now we publish other women and femmes firsthand experiences with health and medicine. Um, we hold educational events, workshops, and we go on some podcasts like this one. Cool. So you mentioned um, that the project highlights um, that medicine is not a domain untouched by larger structures um, like sexism, racism, classism, ableism. Um, can you elaborate a bit on what that means uh, for this project? Yes. Um, so I think a lot of people love to believe that medicine is sort of purely objective, factual, and scientific. Uh, but if you're in any way marginalized and have ever found yourself in a situation where you're a patient, then you probably know all too well that medical encounters aren't just influenced by these larger inequalities, but that within like clinical spaces, when you're alone with a doctor, these inequalities can actually become even more concentrated on individual bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and this can result in a whole range of consequences from um, having a lack of access, lost hope, or even lost lives. Because if you're, let's say, low income, racialized, disabled, or femme presenting, you're going to face a medical system that not only has this interpersonal and implicit bias coming from medical personnel, but institutional barriers and systems of oppression that are actually embedded within the care you're getting. So while at Medical Her Story, we do focus more on gender health inequity, um, we have to acknowledge that all forms of impression are really intertwined and intersecting, and you can't really even understand or begin to address one if you don't acknowledge all of them. Um, you mentioned barriers. Um, so yeah, what, what are these barriers that, that women and femmes face in, in the medical setting? Mm -hmm. um, everyone's gonna have different experiences. But we do know some things from research. Um, we know that many conditions that affect people with vaginas are under-researched, they're underfunded, and they're underserved. 
we know that women, although women are twice as likely to suffer from chronic pain than men, their pain is more likely to be dismissed. We know that in studies where men and women present identical symptoms, that women are more likely to be diagnosed with a, med a mental condition instead of a physical one. We know that it can take years for gynecological issues to be diagnosed or treated. Um, let's see what else. We know that maternal mortality is four times higher for Black birthing people. And we all know that reproductive rights are ongoingly under threat around the world. So I think those are just some examples that are really important to sit with and to understand that behind all these examples is problems that when medical practitioners look at women um, and when women are seeking out care from a medical practitioner, they're up against this double bind of both such a long history of women being seen as hysterical, overly emotional or dramatic, which means that their pain is more likely to be dismissed. But then there's also fewer treatments and solutions for when women's pain is actually recognized. Um, moreover, other barriers can include stigma and shame surrounding the femme body. So if you're scared to even talk about what's going on with you, it's harder to get care and it's even harder to form communities of care. Mm -hmm. My next question is a bit similar. So sorry if, uh, if I'm repeating myself, but um, so we talked about barriers in the medical setting, but uh, can you tell us more about how gender bias influences our understanding of illness? Mm -hmm. um, maybe since I've given you some facts here, I can draw a bit more on some lived experience, mm -hmm. um, but also my research. So while I do live with chronic yeast infections, I also have a master's um, from the University of Cambridge on the subject. Um, so if you do want to learn more, any of our listeners, about my own research, um, you can check out our YouTube channel. I've published like all our conference talks there and they're pretty accessible as well as um, my whole story about suffering with chronic yeast infections is the first one published on Medical Her Story. But um, chronic yeast infections, uh, if people don't know, 75% of people living with vaginas will get at least one yeast infection in their lifetime, but five to 10% will have chronic symptoms that recur on a weekly, monthly, or constant basis and often present for many years. Um, so a yeast infection, if you don't know, means that your genitals can be itchy and burning, having weird discharge, uh, and being in a lot of pain. So not very pleasant. And in my own experience, four years ago, I first saw a doctor when I had a yeast infection that just wouldn't go away. Um, and this was a really vulnerable setting, right? Like I undressed in front of them, they examined my genitals. I, I even cried when I was describing the toll that this had taken on my mental health and my daily life. And then I was dismissed with the words, some people get colds, some people get chronic yeast infections. And for a long time, I thought, you know, I'm just seeing weird doctors. I thought maybe this is something I just need to deal with alone and get used to. That's what everyone is telling me and that's really no big deal. I started conducting interviews with other women about their experiences um, within the US, UK and Canada. And I was so shocked to hear that we were facing such eerily similar experiences of being dismissed within medical care, being just told no one cares, get in, get out, facing the social stigma around being worried that other people are gonna see us as gross and just facing a lack of resources because the treatments that are out there just don't work and there's not enough research going on or funding within women's health to solve these issues right now. Um, and I guess something else I talk about in my dissertation is that chronic yeast infections are just one example of a larger issue. And I coined this the paradox of a normal problem within women's health, um, which just goes like this. So follow me. If society stigmatizes quote unquote normal genitals as pathological, 
then genital pathologies become normalized. So that's maybe a bit of a complicated academic way of saying that we live in this society where vulvas and vaginas are stereotyped as being dirty, smelly, or shameful, even when they're not infected. Um, so that when you are infected, you face that stigma on top of the fact that no matter how much you're going to clean yourself or have self-surveillance, um, nothing's going to make it better. And it's really disheartening because you face this double stigma of sort of the same one that most women or people with vaginas face and suffer with, but then added on top of that, you come to embody this fear that we're all aware of around gross, dirty, or infected genitals. Um, so that's something that I touch upon. That's just one example of how women's pain and suffering within medical care can be dismissed. Um, but even sometimes when we normalize it, we're, we're causing pain also when we tell women that, oh, menstrual cramps are normal, everyone has them. Oh, yeast infections are normal, most people have them. In some ways that can help destigmatize issues, um, but other ways in a, lot of, in a lot of other ways, it can actually contribute to more harm. Now, Medical History is a, a website, and as mentioned, people can submit um, stories and their experiences. Can you tell us more about the impact that this connection um, offers women with them? For sure. So we've created Medical Herstory as both a site for healing and criticism, because when we write about our own experiences, that's a great way to sort of process what we've been through, to come to terms with something we've been struggling with or trying to understand. So one aspect of Medical Herstory can stop there once you put your thoughts onto paper. Um, but the other begins when you share that story. So when you share a story about abortion, vaginal cysts, menstruation, um, and those stories appear on somebody else's timeline, you're either placing that person within two positions. So as the reader, you're placed in one of two positions, right? Either you read this story and the topic becomes humanized to you or normalized to you. Um, and in that way, you become more sympathetic, more empathetic, more educated or you recognize your own experience in this story and you know that you're not alone. Or I guess there's a third option in which you read these stories and think, ooh, gross, but then you're just part of the problem. <laughs> um, so in sharing these stories, what I'm trying to say is that we do form this community where it's acceptable and encouraged to discuss our stories of being in these messy, uncomfortable bodies, um, but it's also a space where we can witness others doing the same and sort of turn to them to be role models. And what have been some of the submissions that you've received um, that, that have made an impact on you? That's a tough question. Uh, and I'm honest when I say that they're all my favorites, but <laughs> every story we received has really impacted me because I've learned so much about other people's experiences and what they faced. Um, and that's coming from someone who for the past six years has been within academic spaces focusing on women's health. So that does say a lot, not only about the education that we lack, but how powerful these stories are, that they're really touching on these issues um, and touching, them on, touching on them in such a way that's really educating everybody. Um, because we only really live in one experience, right? But storytelling at Medical Her Story is so raw and vulnerable that it really, it really almost lets you see what it's like through that person's eyes or in their body, in my experience at least. I encourage everyone to read them and see if you have the same experience, but we really try to capture that raw emotion. Mm -hmm. And being able to read these stories and really feel them is what makes me a better advocate for others and reflect on my own experience by looking at it in different ways too. Um, I'm really proud to have covered so many topics. If you go on the website, we have things ranging from ovarian cancer, 
to miscarriage, eating disorders, autoimmune diseases, queer experiences, pelvic exams, <laughs> so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing so, we try to expand what's traditionally thought of when addressing women's health and open up all of these nuances and details of our experiences from different perspectives. And if you do want me to give an answer, I'll say that two stories that have really touched me are ouchy and so tight. Um, funnily enough, they're both about the topic vaginismus. Um, which is a condition where your vaginal muscles can involuntarily contract with penetration of any kind. uh, And that's obviously very painful. Mm -hmm. So in Ouchie, a young woman loses her virginity when she, and then, okay, sorry. In Ouchie, a young woman loses her virginity and is in so much pain and so confused that she visits her doctor uh, only to be prescribed, not lube, not reassurance, but numbing cream. And in So Tight, however, it details the experience of actually living with vaginismus. So spoiler alert, the first, uh, the first experience was simply a young woman losing her virginity uh, and not using lube. Um, and the second one, we sort of get a, glam- a glimpse into this complex internal battle that goes on living with vaginismus when sex is painful, but you still really want sex. And essentially, if this makes you a bad feminist, So both of these stories use humor to tell their stories, um, which I think is great and makes them really accessible to read because they do touch on such a heavy topic. Um, But it just makes it more relatable for those of us who have painful sex for whatever reason and raise awareness on it and sort of normalize those discussions, which I think is a great thing to do for women out there um, and their partners. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your hope for medical history uh, moving forward? Sure. So my hope is that we can continue to share even more stories. Um, If you're listening and you have one to share, we would love to help you publish it. And my goal is that we can use our voices and experiences to start enacting real change within both society and at the medical level. Um, I want to keep creating this space for connection, education, and advocacy at the same time. Um, And I'll give a little shameless plug that we are recruiting volunteers now. So if you're interested in our mission and would like to help us spread awareness um, and community, we'd love to have you. Um, I did want to ask also, you mentioned at the top of uh, the interview that you also do events or participate in events. Can you tell us a bit about that and some events that you've, you've done? For sure. So Last Sunday, we held a feminist health research conference where we got to hear from students studying anthropology, sociology, philosophy, and history, um, all addressing health and women's health from a feminist lens. So it was really interesting to see how you could apply um, sort of this outlook onto different topics. We looked at migrant health. We looked at painful breastfeeding, uh, gestational diabetes, postpartum depression. So that was a great event we did. We also hold some less academic events, such as uh, sex-positive pub quizzes, where you get to learn a lot about different um, issues. And then what else have we done? Oh, and then we also um, love to collaborate. So we're going to collaborate with Thrive Club on an upcoming Uh, film screening about women living with chronic illness within Montreal, which we are very excited about. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, Now, if people want to learn more um, or or join or volunteer, where can they go? For sure. So you can check out medicalherstory.com to read all our stories or share your own. And you can find us on social media at medicalherstory.com. 
So on Facebook, Instagram, we even have a YouTube channel. So definitely check us out. Cool. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with us today.